0: is a change in your life and he goes so if there is not a change if if there is not works that was produced by your faith he goes that faith is actually dead because it's not existent he's not saying that we earn our way into the kingdom cuz you you can't do enough you you can't perform well enough to get yourself into the kingdom it's impossible and he says that that's not what I, it's not works that gets us into the kingdom he's saying Faith is what gets us in the kingdom, but real faith produces change. It produces action in our lives. I just want to back that up um, for a moment with Matthew 7, 20. And he says, Jesus speaking, he goes, therefore, by their fruit, you will know them. He He judges the heart, right? He knows the intent of the heart. He knows what's happening inside. He goes, but by the fruit, what what is being produced from that place? He says every time if you see an apple tree, you know, if there's apples on the tree, it's an apple tree. <laughs> you can tell me whatever you want, but that you can put whatever label you want on that tree. But if there's apples on it, it's an apple tree. There's no way of getting around that. And he says in the same way, what is being produced f- through your your mouth, what is being produced in your actions, is what's taking place in your heart. And he goes to far as far as to say, if that if that tree is not producing fruit, right, godly fruit, he's he's going to chop it down. And this is an alarming word. One a lot of the belief system in America, I, I understand that atheism is growing, you know, and this agnostic beliefs is is growing, or and this coexisting is growing, but. But even at the same alarming time, the church is simply saying, "Yeah, if you believe, then then you're saved. You're good. Just continue to live the way you are because Jesus covers the sin." That's such an alarming thing in the hour. And James is bringing clarity to that. We understand that it's when we when I see lack in my life, lack of fruit, then. The, the goal is not to set my mind and say, okay, I'm going to produce fruit in that area because we can't produce it. So if you're sitting in the seats today and you're like, oh, you know, what, my, my life does not radiate Christ. I'm not seeing fruit. You don't then try to really, you know, hard <laughs> grit your teeth together and produce the apple. It's not going to happen. You got to go to the vine. It says, when you abide in me. When I, when I see lack in my life, we're not going to touch it. We're talking about fatherhood. And I, I'm, I'm understanding as I begin to gaze at a perfect father, how limited and broken I am as a father with my children. Man, I'm really lacking fruit in this area. And so I could really try hard to, to be the father that I'm supposed to be. But actually, what that causes is is almost this, this bitterness within me to say, I cannot produce it. So what I realize is I actually have to turn around and abide in the perfect Father, abide in the vine. Because it says, apart from me, you can't produce fruit. But when you abide in me, that is where the fruit comes from. Amen? So if we look at this progression in James, let's... Just because of the, the limited time, I, I don't want to uh, spend too much time in review. But we can see in James 1, and we, if we started in 18 and worked our way through 27, there's this progression of of he says, okay, we, we enter in where uh, into righteousness by the word. We actually receive the word of God. Again, I, th- I think this is one thing that I want to point out, that we need the word of God because we grow by the word. If, if you're setting your heart and you're saying, okay, I want to have fruit, he says, okay, begin to receive the word of God in your heart, meaning engage into this written word. What a gift that we have. And he says, as we do that, we actually grow up in it. But then the second part, he says, don't just read the word. He says, you have to be doers because if, if you just read the word, but you don't put it in play, you don't put it in action, he says, you're in great deception. So it's just listening to a, a Sunday sermon, just just reading the the Bible, and you know, getting past your little devotion, daily devotion of the day. But if it's not if it's not putting in action, it's in great deception. And then he says he starts to to highlight some of the actions that the church does. And I and I think there's two areas that I want to highlight this morning about what action we take, what it's producing. And the first one we find in in verse 26, he goes, if anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. I I, I like how James is just blank. He's like, you know what, religion is useless. (laughs) "There's, There's nothing good about that. But that first part of it is real personal. It's your character. It's what you're thinking. It's what you're saying. It's, it's the way you relate to people. Most of the book of James deals with the personal character of change that happens when we engage with the living God. When we receive the word and we grow by it and we put it in action, he says what it will begin to change is who you are, the very character, your attitude, your heart, your speech. One of the greatest litmus tests of, of our faith Right? One of the things that, that comes up first and shifts first and, uh, from our faith is the way that we talk. Amen? So these, these are the, the very personal things. And I don't want to stay a long time on this because I want to hit the, the heart, the foundation of, of what change is. The second thing is ministry. He says this in verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. When we come into our faith, not only does it change who we are personally, but he also, he also calls us into the ministry of the kingdom. Beyond the four walls. Notice he says to, to go visit those who are in trouble. He, he, to, to actually go out and increase the kingdom, increase God's heart and his justice towards the broken. We, we have, when we come into faith, every one of us needs personal change, personal deliverance, personal freedom. And the second part, every single one of us is called into the ministry of the kingdom. It's, it's not reserved for pastors. It's not reserved for, for podiums. It's not even reserved. We, we have this call to go make disciples and, and no one is excused from that. He, he has given, this is a good thing. He has given you and equipped you with an assignment to further the kingdom, that there would be eternal life, to make the Father known, wherever you go, whether it's in your families, in your workplace, well, I have such a heart to shift our paradigm of thinking that our workplace is not just to give us some finances so we can play a little bit more, but uh, but actually, the workplace is a is a place that God has set you to be the light and make God known that salvation, eternal fruit would come forth. Amen. Our, our paradigm of even going to the the grocery store, as as you become a Christian, part of the fruit of that, what what is happening is that store now has not just been a, a place where you can buy things, but it's a place where you can begin to further the heart of God, the kingdom, justice. Amen. We we we've been called, and and I'm going to go into this a little a little bit further next week, um, because I, I want to hit the foundation this week. But we have we have this uh, this assignment inside of the church. I'm so thankful for our youth leaders and our teachers and our worship leaders. There's this ministry that is equipping the church. It's strengthening the church. But then it doesn't stop there. It actually flows outside of the church. Everywhere we go, we're we're furthering and and calling forth disciples. Amen. Amen. But what he lays down, I believe, is such a foundational principle. If we only lay out the assignment that we have of impacting the nations, and that's where I was going to go this morning. I just felt like the Lord put the brakes on that for a moment, and he says, you need to have the right foundation because there's good and bad works. It's the motivation that changes. But outwardly, we're still going to lead the youth. Outwardly, we're still going to to preach. Outwardly, we're, we're still going to lead worship. We're going to go to the grocery store and we're going to minister and do all of those things. But inwardly, that motivation is what shifts that works from trying to earn something from God or an overflow of who he is. It's this tenderness in our heart that, that we actually desire to, to give an inheritance, a change to the the clerk, or to the coworker, or to the boss, or whoever the employee it's It's this, I have this inheritance, this life from God, eternal life, and I want to give that to you. And I, and I think the foundation is so critical in, in verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father. He says, when, I, when you're doing this, I want you to relate to Bef- before the Creator God, King, Judge, who's but more than that as a Father, and the first first action that He calls us into is to take care of the fatherless. Do you see this? this This is important what if what if the motivation of doing worship, what if the motivation of of entering into the grocery store? was was looking at the clerk as a son rather than just a duty or an obligation to witness to see we do it completely different if we're looking at our society if we're looking at our culture as as an an orphan spirit that they don't know the father and we're here to portray the father and we see them as sons and daughters are you with me I uh was it one thing last year, and, and I was really touched with the heart to evangelize. I, I felt that mandate so strong. I was actually listening to Todd White, and, and that burden was on me. I said, okay, I have to share the gospel with everybody that I see. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. but I'm, and, every, and I talked to you guys about this. Every store clerk, everyone that I encountered, I, I wanted to share something with them about the Lord. Couldn't pass them by knowing that they don't, they don't know eternal life and and i felt I felt the lord stop me in the midst of that after just uh, even a day or two of it and he says i don't want t- you to share one prophetic word without first hearing their story you know what I think is more powerful I've been crying out for for revival and my idea of revival was that we'd be in a room like this we would pray and all the healed the sick would get healed That was my my idea of revival, like Azuzu Street, right? All of these, Whitfield, all of these revivals that have happened through our history where thousands and thousands of people get healed and saved. Amen. I I still cry out for that. I'm wondering if revival is not that God would begin to release a father's heart, that there would be lasting fruit. The Azuzu Street, the, the fruit of that lasts maybe 30 years. But a father, when. You know what he said in the last days, Malachi four six. he's going to release fathers. He's going to begin to turn the father's heart towards the children. Well, what if we begin to operate with a father's heart, a tender father's heart, where we actually care for the people that we're speaking to, like we do sons and daughters? Are you with me? This shifts the whole motivation, because if we have the right motivation, if we can begin to see people as sons and daughters— we can begin to sow into them an inheritance. That's, that's what he's saying. He goes, look at, begin to understand I have a, I'm a father. And what I'm calling you to is to orphans that do not know their father. It's actually the ministry of Jesus. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, he spent, begin to read John in this context and see how many times he begins to relate to God as a father. Right now, if you go into the world and you say, my father that's in heaven, I have no clue what you're talking about. I'm not relating to God as a father. See, the, the whole book is about family. It's not about organizations. It's not, it's not about, and I say this often, about how large we can get our church. And he, he says this. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 4. He goes, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Sometimes in our church models, what we're birthing is more instructors. Ones that just teach. and uh, it's uh, As I become a pastor, I realize I get more and more me- uh, emails <laughs> on how to preach the perfect message. <laughs> I mean, that's really... How to grow your church by preaching the perfect message, you know, learned, you know, all the media and all of this stuff. And it's just it's just constant. All, all of these things that is is driving people to this this professionalism of just teaching. Did you know that that word? They actually hired them. These, the, the instructors, the teachers, they were kind of guardians that were hired to to watch over the kids and teach them and, and train them and 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 it was in Christ. Like it's it's a good thing. You, although you have a thousand instructors in Christ, it's teaching them the good things. He goes, "But what I want to see happen is fatherhood." He goes, "Yet you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I'm urging you this to imitate me" For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach every uh, as I teach everywhere in every ter- church. Here's what I'm what I'm releasing is not great teachers. But you know what the clerk needs more than than this little crafty statement that you can come up with, you know, and and begin to tell her about how sinful she is and that she needs Jesus. <laughs> If you just care for her like a father, like God did for you, He just came and He sat with you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your brokenness. He was, He was on the throne and in, in, in a perfect family context, nothing going wrong. And He says, "I'm going to set it down and I'm going to get in the mud with them. It, it may be ugly. They may be, sp- you know, spit upon and they would even crucify me, but I'm a father." It. it Right here, Paul, he, he didn't have biological sons. This is, he, he adopted them because of Christ. We begin to receive a father's heart. We want you to do. I want you to get in the mess. I, I feel like the Lord is releasing fathers more than teachers right now. People that would care for one another. Begin to show forth who God is. See, a father cares. It's easy to come up and teach and leave. But a father is invested. A father actually leads by action. He says, "Son, here, here's how you do it, and and now watch me." Did you, you catch what what Paul's saying here? He goes, "I heard you do what I'm doing, because I'm being a father. I'm raising up children." Timothy, he began to raise, he began to sow into. Amen. I think one of the greatest things is a father that shifts from a teacher. There's so many things that we can look at, but a father is about giving an inheritance to his sons and daughters. You know, God, he could have picked anything. Can we turn the lights up? (laughs) I know that's random, but I can't see anyone. I thought it was my eyes. The father he wants to give an inheritance. He could have picked anyone. He could have picked releasing his kingdom to a to a prince. He could have picked the, the kings. He could have he could have did it any way. But he actually he, he picked his son. He brought him in humility that everybody would watch this son grow up. And in that it was he he didn't have to teach Jesus anything. It's not like he had to work on a ton of discipline with Jesus but why he wanted to give him an inheritance. He says in Psalms, "One, want to ask me of anything. I'll give you the inheritance, the nations. But when, we, when we take on a city with a fatherhood spirit, it's not to discipline and correct them, it's to give them an inheritance that we've cultivated in Christ. It's, it's to bring them into the place of life. That's, that's exactly what God is doing in this sonship. He says, now, now I'm giving an inheritance to you. That you release it. Look, look at some of these verses. He, I said, Psalms 2.8, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance at the ends of the earth for your possessions. He says in Colossians 1.12, uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of the light. This, this is what it is to be a father. That we're cultivating something for our natural sons and daughters, but also for our city to hand, it, hand to them and that for them to walk into. If we look at the ministry of Jesus, the bulk of his ministry, especially if you look at John, is manifesting the Father. He was he was actually showing them who the Father is. I think a bulk of what our ministry is is actually showing forth who the Father God is. That we would depict a perfect picture of a Father in heaven. The, the first encounter that the lost will have or your children will have of God is you. Who, who they encounter God, how they encounter God first is sitting in this room. And when they begin to see us with a tender father's heart that draws them into the place where we can then have them encounter the true and perfect father. Are you with me? When we walk into the grocery store, We're walking on the behalf of Jesus. We're walking on the behalf of our Father God. So what he said, Jesus, he he said that on, on the earth. He goes, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. What they saw, they saw the natural man Jesus before them. And he goes, but what I am portraying is our Father in heaven. Amen. Well, I think this is the basis of our ministry. It's, to, it's, it's showing forth, but in order to make Him known, I say this often: in order to make the Father known, you have to first know Him. That's why that personal character and change, that fruit, comes from abiding. Jesus just didn't have the the desire to people to encounter him, but most of his ministry was bringing reconciliation between the sons and the Father God. He actually came to justify us that we would come back into the family, into the position to encounter God. He goes, this is, this is what I'm doing in John, John 17. He says, I sit and declare my, my father's name. He goes, I declare your name is what he said in John 17. Because I'm declaring it to them that, that the very love that you had for me would be in them. That they would be in this position. What name did Jesus declare over and over and over before that? The Father. He says, uh, because they didn't know you. That's what he's saying. John 17, he goes, They don't know you. So they, they don't know you as a Father. You know, they may know you as God and Lord and all of these things, but but they haven't, they haven't realized that the very creator of the universe, the one who brought all things before, the one who can tear down kings and raise them up in a day, th- this one that gave you breath, he actually relates to you as a father. It says, they don't understand that, so I'm going to declare it to them. Because that very love that you have for your sons would be in them. That's the ministry of Jesus. That's what he was doing. That was what he was about. He would... He began to come against the very lies, right? Satan is the father of lies. And so what Jesus began to declare was the truth. Oh, righteous father. So he said, John 17, oh, righteous father, I'll begin to declare who you are to them. He just continued. He said, even when you begin to relate to your father or when you begin to to come into the place of prayer, he goes, how I want you to relate to God is as a father. Oh, father in heaven. The prayer that that we all know, your kingdom come, your will be done. He says, the way that I want to posture the the heart of the people to him is as sons before a perfect father. Do you know most of the, the lawlessness that's happening in a real practical sense in our nation is due to fatherless? This is, I believe, why Jesus is Is really coming after this lie of this brokenness of of not knowing our Father in heaven. Look look at these statistics. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from a fatherless home. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from a fatherless home. 71% of all high school dropouts come from a fatherless home. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in high school or in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% le- less likely to drop out of school. It just goes and goes and goes. That there's, there's this break in the father. When, when we remove the father, there's a brokenness in us. Are you with me? This, th- that's a great question cuz here's the reality m- probably a good percentage of us in t- in this room right now either didn't have a father or our father was present being that he was he was he was there you know the divorce didn't happen he was in the home but emotionally he was gone not connected broken most of us probably actually grew up in an abusive home and then the other ones you know if you're like me i had a great father but yet the image that he could portray or the image that i could portray was not the perfect a righteous father in heaven it's still a it's a blurred image and so the reality of our being born again is being born into a perfect father it doesn't matter your history because now you have a perfect father in heaven. And this is the reconciliation. He goes, what I'm doing, Jesus, he said, that I am um, bringing them, conveying them from the, the place of, of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom. What do you think the kingdom that he would bring us into? I would think of the kingdom of of power, the kingdom of salvation, the kingdom of eternal life. No, he goes, into a kingdom of the son in which he loves. He's saying, I'm. I'm actually reconciling a whole generation back to the Father that there can be healing and restoration. This is that a son will abide in the house forever. And that that son will be free because Jesus has set him free. Are you with me? So when we come in, we begin to understand God is the Father. It can actually bring healing to all of these issues. When we begin to father a fatherless generation, that is where the reconciliation happens. Because in every single heart, there is a cry for a father. Did you know most of the even severe abusive cases of abuse, they still want to be with their father? Because there's a cry in the heart. We were designed to be fathered. And we... God is releasing fathers in this room it doesn't matter if if your gender male female it's talking about the heart of fatherhood It's the heart of our perfect Father in heaven that would come and begin to relate to people as sons and daughters instead of just just these pawns. Oh I shared the new good news of gospel, you know, and mark another one off <laughs> no it's it's getting involved in there. And their mess and in their brokenness is caring deeply for them. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 13, he says, for, uh, let's start in 14. For as many as, as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Again, this language, he's saying, what what we're what faith is about is about family. Because we're bringing them back into sonship. They would, they would understand that, that they're sons. This is verse 15. For you did not receive the, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. But I, I believe in every single heart there's a cry for the Father. I think within us we're crying out for, for a Father. I, I don't think the the primary call of society right now is even for eternal life. Hear me out on this. I I, I don't think people are walking around and they're crying out for eternal life within the inside. I don't think they're crying out for large organizations that would have some fancy slideshows and and good children's service. Those are good. I'm not coming against those. That's great. I'm I'm so thankful for, you know, the skilled speakers and all of the things that we have to reach the lost. But I think deep within... They're crying out for family and they're crying out for fathers. That this this cry within our hearts that God put it put it within there is this cry for fatherhood. And that's why it's so essential that the Lord would release fathers, not just teachers, fathers that could come alongside, would release family. He says, He continues actually, and he says, all of creation. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Are you with me? From the beginning, Genesis. Right, the Lord, He he called forth family to begin to subdue the earth, to cover the earth. This is what we're created for. And when we depict this picture of the father, and, and I'm not saying that we're trying to be a father to get them to, like, to, to enter into us. It's not another, you know, fad of the church to say, hey, fatherhood is where it's at. and We can get more people by fatherhood. No, it's a real heart of fatherhood that would bring them in and then bring them into the restoration of the one true perfect father. Amen. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew. Here's the ministry of Jesus. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what he did is he came and he, he brought us into the family. Moreover, whom predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. See, and this, this was why. Jesus came. We understand, and I said it before, from the garden to Malachi, he says that the reason that he's bringing forth marriage is for godly offspring. <laughs> you know, it's this all this context of, of family that God desires. Let's stand. Well, I, I believe it would that God is really doing revival. I just think revival looks a little different than what we we thought. I think revival is that he's releasing fathers that care for people like he cares. But I, as, as I enter into the next couple weeks and talk about Engaging into the ministry I, I want us to do it from a foundation of fatherhood you know one thing that ministry always uh, gives room for is, is great offense the other pastor in the house laughed because he knew <laughs> because if, if you think it's a volunteer it, everyone volunteers their time right? you don't get paid you don't get noticed for the amount of work you do. You, you don't. It, there's just it sets grounds for offense if we come with the wrong motivation. But when we come with our motivation as a father that cares deeply for our children and brings them into an inheritance that we would even sacrifice for that child, So that is that is the the heart, the foundation. I, I want us to look at whether we do stuff in the church or outside of the church. I, I really want us to hold a perspective of this community as a father would for his son and daughter. I want us, when we, we enter into the store, that checkout lady is, is the, the issue is not that she's taking too much time to get you know what we need, the issue is she's a lost daughter. And we have an inheritance to give to her. We have life to give to her. When we're being rejected, when we're being accused falsely, it's because they don't know the father. And most of the issues will stem from father wounds, the brokenness in the home, but yet we have the answer to bring them back into, to, to show forth who a perfect father is and to reconcile them into that relationship that no longer do they have to look at, at all of the things they have lost through their father, but now they can see all of the things that they have gained in their new father. The perspective change, the reconciliation that takes place. So this is this is what he says. This is what, what James, he goes, what faith is producing what true, pure religion looks like, is that we would take a stance before our Father in Heaven and we would then begin to go after the Fatherless. He, he actually says, visit them. Visit. Not, not just having an encounter, a prophetic word, or I'll pray for you. It's, it's, that visit is that you would go into their trouble and you would sit with them in that trouble as you would a family member. you would visit those that are orphaned even in their spirit amen father I ask that you would Lord, shift my heart and our hearts Lord that that we would go visit those that are fatherless we would we would spend time with them we would engage with their heart Lord And we we would be a tender father, as you are a tender father with us. Father, I ask that you would give us the grace and the strength to stay in the midst of the mass, Lord. That they would know the one perfect father. That they would have the inheritance of eternal life. jesus amen if you would like prayer for anything i would love to pray for you Uh, we have snacks and refreshments in the back Uh, but i want to encourage us this starts first in our homes so as we go through the week we first father those in our homes and then when we enter into this into culture then then we're from a place of fatherhood so have a blessed week amen